Well, I'm just going to, uh, Lord, I just pray that you would speak to me through me and just, uh, just illumine your word to the hearts of people today. Lord, whatever we're coming in here with, Lord, that <clears throat> we would leave lighter. We'd leave fuller. We'd leave closer. And Lord, that um, you are not put off by us at all. You don't give yourself in pieces, Lord. You don't hide yourself to tease us, Jesus. And I pray wherever we are on our journey today, Lord, that that would be very, very clear to us when we leave and throughout this service. In your name we pray, Lord, amen. So um, you can take that slide down because we're not, I'm kind of an audible. Uh, it's one of those ones with sitting in service and I don't like to do this very often, but I just felt like God was impressing something on my heart. And so I was um, thinking about um, just, I was reading the Bible this, um, this morning. I was reading in Mark. And I was just thinking about when Jesus is, gets a barrage, a battery of questions from the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They're putting them on the spot. They're coming at him. They're laying into him. And they're asking this, they're asking that. And they're trying to trip him up. They're trying to stump him. They're, they're wanting him to prove himself. They're actually really wanting him to prove them. They want him to prove their doubts. They want him to prove their mistrust. They want him to prove that he's not the one. They want him to prove that they can stay where they are and that life can just keep going on. And one of the things that I love is one of the Pharisees comes up to Jesus and says to him this, this, this great thing that, um, I don't know, I, I've thought about it a lot, but it, it was today as I was just thinking that um, in Mark chapter 12, verse 34, well, it says, let's start in verse 28. One of the teachers of the law was standing there listening to this debate. These people are piling the questions, the accusations on Jesus. And he realized that Jesus has answered well. So he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Really interesting, of the 612 laws, Jesus doesn't quote any of them, but he quotes a prayer. He quotes the most important Jewish prayer, the Shema, in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Jesus quotes a prayer, not the law. But he says, the most important is this, Shema Yitzrayenu Eloheinu Adonai Akkad. Like, Shema Yitzrael means listen, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then he says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And when this is in Matthew um, chapter 22, it says, all the law and prophets hang on this command. That word to me is really interesting, command. Because to a lot of people, that's a bad word. Maybe you were in an abusive situation with a coach or a relative, or maybe you were just one of the hippy dippies that, like, you know, we're not going to take it kind of people that just can't hear the word no. To a lot of people, uh, like, authority has been abusive or painful, or maybe you just didn't even have authority and you were left yourself your entire life, and it's hard to listen to other people. I have had a hard time with authority in my life because I wasn't raised in an environment where I saw the best examples of it. And so, like, the words commandment 
were hard. And he says, and that like the most important commandment is this. But it's really interesting that Jesus answers with love. Jesus answers with love. He says the, the second is equally part, love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandments are greater than these. And the, the Pharisee, the teacher of the law, he replied, well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth by saying there is only one God and no other. And I know it's important to love him with all my heart and all my understanding and all my strength and to love my neighbor as myself. This is more important than to offer all the burnt offerings and sacrifices required of the law. Jesus, realizing how much this man understood, I love what he said to him. He said, you are not far off from the kingdom of heaven. All these other people, like I think a lot of times when we're, wherever we are in life, like it's, I think a lot of times, like we can tend to look at like Christianity like this. And this is not something revolutionary I'm coming with, up with. A guy named M. Scott Peck came up with this. This is called bounded set. That means you're either in or you're out. Can everyone see that? If you can't, just my wife will tell me afterwards I should have drawn it bigger and darker. Can you see it, honey? Good, okay. Um, so you're either in or you're out. And a lot of times, a lot of things, like in Christianity, we, we've just treated it as very in or out. Like you're either like uh, Nacho Libre. Anyone ever watch Nacho Libre? Remember when like Nacho, they're getting ready to go in the big, and he comes up behind him and slams his head in the, in the bowl of water. He's like, you have not been baptized. Like, no! Like, you know, just does it because it's like, dude, we're, we're all done. We're going to hell if you don't do this motion. And a lot of times we, we've treated the kingdom of heaven like this, that you're either in or you're out. Because the thing about these Pharisees and Sadducees, they thought they were in. They thought we're circumcised on the eighth day, born to a Jewish mother in the land of Israel. We are so in. We're so in that this guy who we've been praying for for thousands of years is coming at it differently. He must be out. And I think there's this tendency in Christianity that a lot of times we treat ourselves or we treat others like, well, I'm either in or I'm out. I'm either in or out. And I'm not calling for a different form of a gospel where you can like, you know, hokey pokey it or you can kind of be kind of like, oh, well, I'm not really a Christian. I'm kind of a this or a that, but I believe like, you know, spirit. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. But a lot of times we just chalk our, our faith up to in or out. And we move and we lose that sacred space of questions where I believe Jesus is really comfortable with our questions. I believe Jesus is more comprehensive, more wise, more um, vast, but also more obtainable than, than we realize. And I think a lot of times that we get so stuck if we're in or out that we miss those margins in our lives where I think God is really okay with the processes in our lives. And as Judy came up with that word and as we were, we were singing pieces, like, I don't, like, God, I just, his commandments aren't burdensome. In 1 John, it says his commandments are not burdensome. The, the commands, the instructions of Jesus aren't so a this or that as much as they are like Jesus is drawing people to himself. He's on a journey to reach our hearts and to dip into our lives, into our brokenness, our pain, our shame, our messes, and 
he's mindful of what we're made of. He's mindful that this is hard. He's mindful that um, he equates us to sheep. <laughs> like, seriously, they're not smart. Like, like, I remember one time, I was just watching, we took our kids to this petting zoo or whatever it was, and there was just sheep and goats, and I'm just watching them. Like, I just saw, like, one, like, you know, they're just like, like this one was like biting the fence. Like, I'm like... <laughs> Like, just kept biting the fence. And it said, stay off the fence, voltage. Like, I'm like, so he's eating, like, like, it just keeps going for it. And then this other one relieves himself, and then one goes, lays down in it. Like, it's like, and and that's kind of like us, isn't it? Like, sometimes we're like, I just got to get, I'm just rest. You know, and like, we just don't put, like, God equates us to sheep. But he also calls himself a good shepherd. And sometimes people wander. Sometimes people go astray, and it doesn't say he's just like, screw them, they left, they're out, it's over, I'm not going after them. Let the wolves get them. And the church has been fascinatingly um, adroit at shooting their wounded. Or when people bring questions, when people bring trauma, when people bring bad behavior, when people bring brokenness and shame, just like, oh. Yeah, they're coming to church. Do you know they were divorced? Or do you know they, at one time, they were, um, they were bankrupt? Or just the things people say. Or do you know they drive too fast? I was behind them on the highway. <laughs> Sinner. Never drive behind me. You would be ready to fire me. <laughs> um, But there's things like we just treat people like we're so good at shooting our wounded that there's this narrative that people believe that questions aren't welcome. And Jesus entertained questions of jerks. And then this guy answered right, and I love Jesus, you are not far from the kingdom of heaven. Jesus didn't just say, oh, because you answered well, you're in. And a lot of us kind of, there's this disillusionment where sometimes, oh, well, you just said a prayer, or you had a good answer, or you look good, you're in. Jesus is like, you're not far but, but you're getting closer. I don't think Jesus was always looking like if you are in or out, because I think when we get to the kingdom of heaven at the wedding supper of the lamb, we're going to be really surprised that some who are in and some who are out. And I think that um, it seems to me what I see in the Bible is God really values honesty, um, integrity, he, invo- he values questions. He, in- he values humble hearts. Like God's not put off by us. He's not put off by us. And he's not, I don't think he's standing up there with like this Zeus-like lightning bolt waiting to thrash us if we mess up. And so as we're just in this today, as we've been talking about the gospel, is I think that there's also a gospel for Christians that I think in... Um, in a sense, like, do you know our questions are okay? Do you know it's good news that we serve a God who's okay that we're not perfect? Do you know it's good news that we can come to church with our words? It's good news that our feet stink and he's well aware of it. It's good news that, like, we can have an off day on the course or with our spouse and we're still wanted by God. And I just feel like a lot of times there's just a heaviness of our culture of there's so many, like really it seemed like the people that Jesus was openly chiding like the most were the ones who thought they had it down. 
the ones who didn't think their stuff stank, that the other sheep should lay in it. And honestly, there's, there's some of us maybe in this room who we think we're maybe better than other people or you think, oh, I don't have that same testimony or I don't have that same thing. Like, oh, I'm, I'm really lucky to live where I live or I've really got something other people need. It seemed like to Jesus that was more offensive than questions. It seemed like to Jesus that was more offensive because I think one of the problems of riches is, I think one of the reasons why our country is in the... Sh- in the shape and the state it's in is because I think each dollar we have, each article of clothing that we have, each vehicle, each home, each thing that we have, Jesus said it's easier for a camel to enter through the eye of a needle than it is for the rich to enter in heaven. And I think it's because, not because Jesus doesn't like rich people, but it's because each thing we have is a further barrier of insulation that keeps us from our recognition of our great need for him. And so these barriers, yeah, are these recognition. And like, why does a God, like, how could someone who says, blessed are the poor, that is so counterintuitive. And I think that Jesus could say it because like, you know, I was, we were talking today in Welcome to Vineyard Florence. Like, do you know, like it says in the book of Isaiah, that there was nothing about Jesus's appearance that drew us to him. Do you know Jesus probably was not great looking? It says that he was, he was a man from whom other people hid their faces. Chances are the dude was really jacked up. Chances are Jesus wasn't great looking. Jesus was born in a very um, kind of scandalous situation. He was born to a single mom. Now we think, oh, virgin birth. And people in his culture didn't think that. They thought single mom. She had a one-night fling and she had a baby, and everyone knew it. Everyone knew her and Joseph were pregnant before the marriage were, were consummated. So Jesus wasn't this guy who just came in dressed to the nines and everyone like wanted to be on his team. I'm, I get a feeling he was a guy that was often picked last. And I wanna tell you today that maybe you're walking in here and you're picked last, like good news for you is God is for you. He understands you. Like, think about it. Jesus came to a single mom. He was a refugee. He was poor. He was born in a barn. And he was killed wrongly. And all of his friends abandoned him. Jesus isn't put off by our frailty. It says he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. That you've gone through nothing that Jesus hasn't experienced. And I just think there's too many times where we just walk in here and there's this need of being polished or we have it together. And I I never wanna be part of a church. I never wanna be part, like I would just rather be done because I know I don't have it together. And I'm so thankful for the men and women in my life who looked at the mess around me or the mess on me and still said, all right, let's keep going further. They weren't ready to shoot me because, well, you were in, but now you're out. And I think that there's something that God wants us to, like, instead of hiding our shame, instead of hiding our grief, I think there's something God wants to do in our lives that, like, maybe instead of hiding that stuff, maybe that's the place he actually wants us to lead from. Because, like, just like there's a bounded set, you're either in 
or you're out. I think a more appropriate way is what M. Scott Peck would say of a center set. Chris, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but there are large ranches in Australia, like in the outback, mate, that are so big that like there's no way you could fence them. There's no way you could fence them. Even like the big Texas ranches. I mean, Australia is bigger geographically than our country is in, in the 48. So Australia in, in the middle of the country is pretty much uninhabitable, unless you're like a scorpion, a snake, or a cow or something. So these ranchers, but people still own it, and they have these giant ranches, and what they, what they do in these ranches is they're too big to put up fences. So instead, what they do is they put a watering hole in the middle, or they put watering holes closer to home base. So the animals, like, <laughs> you go too far out here, there's nothing to drink. So you keep the watering holes close to center, and there you're gonna find life. And you might wander off some, you might go out there and you might even get injured. You might die. You might not come back or you might be gone for a while. But ultimately, if you're thirsty enough, you're gonna come back to this watering hole. I think Jesus is a lot more like an Australian ranch than a Texas one. Where I don't think he's putting up all these fences like you're in and you're out. You, you, you uh, burp in church, it's over. You look lustfully, you're done. You lie, it's over. See ya. And not like he wants any of that. And I'm not making a mockery of like purity, but I think like God's grace is more vast than we can imagine. And I don't think he's put off that we're dust. He calls us sheep and he's not angry when we have questions for him. And he doesn't hide himself to tease us as that song said. But I think a lot of times, maybe you're in a place where you're not finding that much lately. I would ask, are you seeking that much? Because he says, when you seek me, you find me. But when you seek me with all of your heart. Now, all of my heart can be full of stink and questions and, and like disappointment. But am I going for it or am I just kind of being like these Pharisees that are just asking to trap him? Or I dare you, Jesus, answer this one for me. How dare you? Or how could my culture say this? Or how could I feel that? How could I experience that? Are we asking with a humble heart? Because there is a wrong way to ask questions, and then there's a right way. Everyone's been asked a question in kind of a way that felt like someone was just trying to trap you or nail you or mock you. Do you come to Jesus with honest questions? Do you come to Jesus in your brokenness? Where are you? Because I think, I think we're gonna find out that a lot of times, like if Jesus, if this is Jesus, okay, Jesus is the living water, okay? Looks like tangled blue hair, but we did our best. Um, so Jesus is the living water. I think like instead of in or out, I think Jesus is more concerned with which direction is our arrow pointing. Because there might be, like the Pharisees seem really close, but they were pointing away from him. They're the ones that seemed they were in the temple, doing the temple stuff. They seemed really close to God, but when it came to Jesus, their arrows were pointing away from him. Or maybe there's this guy that Jesus just said, this other teacher, and he's like, bro, you are not far from the kingdom of heaven. 
Maybe he was even out here before the conversation started. But Jesus is like, dude, you're coming closer. You're not far from the kingdom of heaven. Or maybe we're right here. Maybe we're close, but we're kind of leaning out. Maybe the world flesh and the devil, we're kind of cocked sideways a little bit. Or maybe we're, we're like running like the Dickens, like, get me out of this place. This church is so weird. Or maybe we're way out here. And something happened to us today or this week where we're just, we're coming closer. I just, I don't know, I just felt like people need to know like Jesus isn't put off by our questions. He's not put off by our proximity to him. Because it says, you know what's amazing about him? I can be out here over there. And it says God is near to all who call upon him. The, the, the amazing thing of Jesus is we don't have to pass some tests. We don't have to look good. We don't have to be good. We don't have to feel good. And he just says that I'm near if you call on me. Like, like the difference between Jesus and Allah or like the Upanishads or the Vedas or Confucianism is all these are things are about us climbing the mountain to maybe we'll get there, that maybe we can be in. But Christianity is about God climbing down the mountain to get to people. And says, I'm close to everyone who calls upon me. That if you're in a mess today, call upon me. And this is your day of salvation. Because the thing is, is God's calling on us all the time. That's why it says, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, uh, like in Hebrews, in Hebrews 3 and in Psalm 95, today if you hear, don't harden your heart. Maybe God's doing something today. Don't harden your heart. Maybe God, maybe you've been way out here and you're feeling pulled in. Today, if you hear, don't harden your heart. Because like I love it says in Matthew chapter 12, it says this. And it says, and this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant, who, my servant whom I have chosen my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will, not, he will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out until he brings justice to victory and his name to the Gentiles, they will hope. Like Jesus isn't here to crush you. Jesus isn't here to embarrass you. Jesus isn't, do you know Jesus isn't embarrassed to be with you? Some of you might be thinking, I've done some pretty bad stuff. Like he's actually not embarrassed because he's, he's not unaware. Like when he extended grace to us, he was sure of what he was doing. He knew if you had an abortion. He knew if you murdered someone. He knows if you've been touched wrong. He knows if you've touched someone else wrong. He knows if you've stolen money. He knows if you're a bad boss. He knows if you're like an awful wife or husband. He knows if you're a sneaky kid and he's not put off by you. Like he knew what he was getting into. When he made this deal to purchase us with his blood, he was aware of what he was doing. He wasn't caught off by it. That's why he says, I can be near to everyone who calls on me. It's not like he's over there and he's like, oh, hey, he's calling, ringing. Like he was unaware. Like he, the God who, the God who's everywhere can be two places at once. God is close to you. He is in heaven on his throne, but he's also God with us. Jesus is aware of what you need before you even ask. 
So where are you today? What's your heart asking for? What's your life longing for? What do you need from Jesus? What's your questions? Because it says a wounded reed he wouldn't break and a smoldering wick he wouldn't snuff out. So wherever you are, are today, there's mercy. There is mercy. There is grace. And there's space for questions. There's space for pain. There's space for healing. There's space for growth. But today, don't harden your heart. See, the thing that Jesus had the hardest time with the Pharisees was about was not their questions. It was their hardness of heart. They were hard-hearted towards him. They had it figured out. A soft-hearted person is like, I got questions. I need help. I'm struggling here. Or I wanna, I wanna see other people grow. I wanna see other people change and heal, but I know I'm not gonna do that very well until I'm doing the same. Like, Jesus is not put off by us. Wherever we're way out here, wherever there, or we're like just right in the center. Like, he wants us right here. He wants us close to the water. But life's hard, isn't it? Ministry's hard. Walking the walk, living the faith is hard. But Jesus isn't put off by the fact that it's hard. In fact, he knows it's too hard for you and me. He knows it is. That's why in salvation, he didn't just save us and hand us a fire insurance to say, all right, we'll see you in 10, 20 years. No, he says, I know you couldn't obey me before. You could never pass this test, so I took it for you. You get my grade if you want it. But the only way in is 100%. It's an A. That's it. That's the only chance. I demand that. Well, you just said his commandments aren't burdensome. Well, the work of God is to believe in the one whom he sent. And the one whom he sent wants to give you his grade. The one whom he sent says... Um, you can't stay in long enough by your own devices and your own machinations. You actually need me to do that too. I'm not just some insurance policy so you don't torch later on. I'm not just spiritual sunscreen. But actually, you need me the whole process. No man comes unto the Father unless the Spirit draws him. Jesus did the work. Jesus took the test. We get his grade. And then he says that I will not leave you alone, that I myself will come back to you. And he says, and the disciples are like, what? You're leaving? And he's like, yeah, I'll come back to you, but it'll be in the form of the paraclete, of the helper, of the Holy Spirit, of the comforter. I will help you. I will comfort you. I will guide you. I will strengthen you. I will empower you. I will live with you. If you think I was close when you were far away, you'll see how close I am now that you let me make, make my home with you. Because also, too, he's like, you guys still can't do it. You still can't obey me enough. You still can't love me enough. You still can't love other people. But why don't you learn how to love me back with the love I give you? Why don't you learn how to love others with the love I give you and quit trying to do it on your own? The Holy Spirit is so important, friends, because the Holy Spirit is the person of Jesus. It's God with us. As it says in the early chapters of Isaiah 6, 7, and 9, in Colossians 1.27, like, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Like, the only chance we have is to let Jesus in and to welcome him 
And then he says, guess what? I can obey myself. I can obey those commands that might seem too far out there. I can obey these things that I'm calling you to do. I can honor my father through your life where you were powerless before. Watch what I do if you just let me have your life. If you let me have that junk, that stuff you're so ashamed of, watch, you, you can't even hide it. Watch what I can do with it. I can actually turn this stumbling block into a stepping stone. I can turn this thing that you wanted to just kick to the curb into a platform if you let me move through your life because I'm that good, I'm that willing, I love you that much that I am open to everything you have so much, the thing that was in the dumpster, I will reclaim it and I'll beautify it and I'll make it a beacon of light for people to see. Yeah. That's what he's like. So the good news is that's what he's like. He's not put off by us. He's not offended by us. He's not against us. He's actually for us. And he's not, gonna, he's not hiding himself to tease us. You're deeply loved by God. And I love what he says to blind Bartimaeus in Mark chapter 10. Do you remember when the beggar's crying out for him? Even the disciples who are with him all the time, like, shut up, bro. Like, dude. Like, he's like, son of David, son of David, have mercy on me. And they're like, shh, zip it. And then finally Jesus stopped and said, call him. Bring him over here. They said, well, take heart. <laughs> he's calling on you. You're irritating me, but he wants you to come over. And says he sprang up, left his cloak, came to Jesus. And then Jesus, I love, it's really interesting of Jesus. I, I don't know, I don't think he was poking fun at the guy because I don't think he's like that. But how could, he's looking at a blind guy screaming and says, what do you want me to do for you? I mean, the guy's not like, I want a bologna sandwich or you know, I want a lottery ticket. Like, of course the guy wants to see. But I think sometimes in our pain and our desperation, God's just saying, what do you want from me? Tell me your question. Tell me what you really need. Tell me what you really want. Because I know what I want to do for you, but I, I also want, want, want you, I want you close to me. Tell me what you need. He's like, I want to see. She's like, come on. And his sight was restored. What do you need Jesus to restore today. So we're gonna wrap up and we're gonna pray. Um, but what do you need Jesus to do for you today? Where do you need to come closer? Where are your questions? Where are your struggles? Where's your shame? Where's your pain? Where's your irritation? Where's your frustration? Where's your baggage? Where's that backpack that you're just carrying that's crippling you? What do you need Jesus to do for you today? You might say, oh, it's pretty obvious. Tell him. Be honest with him. Sometimes we just got to call out the things that are not as though they were. Or we just need to call things out and just get straight and get honest. And say, God, I need you. I'm desperate for you. And I'll tell you what, if you don't feel desperation for God ever, and you're just on in the fast lane going 70 on cruise, if you have no desperation for Jesus, I want you to know just the opposite of what Jesus said to this Pharisee who said, you are not far from the kingdom of heaven. You may be further from the kingdom of heaven than you're realizing. You may think that you're in, but Jesus, like Cruz, is just like right here. 
And the thing about the kingdom is, is like, it's, it, it's a now thing. Like we talked about a couple weeks ago. Today, if you hear, don't harden your heart. And I said this a couple weeks ago too, but it's worth saying again. The kingdom of heaven does not run in front of us. It actually, it actually runs parallel with us. We're in the now and not yetness. So the kingdom, of course, is in front of us. But in our lives, the kingdom does not always run in front of us. Today, when you hear his voice, today, when you hear his invitation, today, when you hear his love, respond to it. Today, when you hear your voice, don't harden your heart. When you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Because we don't know. We don't know if we'll pull out there. We don't know if this will be it. We don't know if we'll get bad news tomorrow that just the thing broke because we didn't receive grace today. We didn't have what it took to handle it tomorrow. Today, when you hear, don't harden your heart. Because he's a God that wants us close to him. He's not just this in or out God. He's okay that we're, that we're coming a mess and a shame and limping in. Or maybe you're like, my life's great, but I don't have hunger. Don't harden your heart towards that God would stir up hunger in you. We just don't have because we don't ask. Whatever it is, we don't have because we don't ask. What do you want me to do for you? So maybe it's just honesty, like, Lord, I've never received prayer in my life. I've been too proud or I thought I didn't have need, but I see you're stirring something inside of me that I didn't realize I need you. Or I don't love people the way you just said that you love people. Give me a hunger and a thirst for you. So if prayer teams would come up, we're gonna pray. And I wanna encourage you and challenge you, and this, I wish I would've said this at the beginning, but it doesn't fit as great now, but we're gonna, we know kids are going back to school. My son goes to college in a couple days. Um, I'm gonna be having a lot of tissues on that ride and on the ride home with my wife. And um, kids are going to school and we know that the world is a mess right now. We're gonna be doing an all-church fast starting next Sunday for a week. We're gonna pray for our kids. We're gonna pray for lost people because people need Jesus. People either need him or they need to stay on the vine or they need to come back. So we're just gonna pray today. Wherever you are, if you've never received Jesus, come forth, he loves you. You're here today because he's drawing you. You're not here by an accident. You are here because he's drawing you. You were meant to be here today. Or maybe you're far from him. Or maybe you're like, I just don't have hunger. Whatever it is, if you need healing, if you need grace, if you need spiritual resuscitation, Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We ask you to come. We ask you to pour yourself out on us today. That, Lord, that you're, you're, you won't, a wounded reed you wouldn't break, a smoldering wick you wouldn't snuff out, Lord. Fan our flames, heal our wounds, bandage our our brokenness, Lord. Have mercy on our disease-riddled states, Lord, where we just come in with so much junk and we need you. Would you pour yourself out on us today? Would you give us freedom and healing, Lord? Would you meet us today wherever we are, Lord? You just come, Holy Spirit, and come live with us, come dine with us. You say, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone would let me in, I'll come and dine with him. Maybe you've never felt that level of fellowship that Jesus wants to be with you, that he is God with you. Come receive prayer today. If you're here today, don't harden your heart. We thank you, Jesus, and we love you. We bless you. To your mighty, powerful, wonderful, and beautiful name, we pray, Lord, amen. All right, well, we'll just head into a time of ministry, so you're welcome to come up and receive prayer. You're welcome to rest and worship. Just soak if you need to get kids or you have plans, that's okay. But 
just kind of rest in this moment. Just come, Holy Spirit.